and welcome to Pet Talks. I'm Frank Laughlin, Business Transformation Manager for Kerber Pharma Software. And I'm Laura Ferry, Cloud Customer Success Manager for Kerber Pharma Software. Our goal for Pep Talks is to have conversations on current topics impacting both bio and pharmaceutical manufacturing. And to get to know the people who are the experts in the industry. So sit back, relax, or go for a walk with some pep in your step. Welcome to Pep Talks. Laura, this episode, we're discussing a topic if done right or wrong, makes or breaks a project. And this is change management. We've all seen both examples. When it's done right, you see acceptance. But when it's done wrong, you can see rejection or worse. But today we're lucky enough to have two experts that have guided projects through the change management waters and have come out right side up. I would like to welcome Dan Atlas and Sandra Rodriguez from Accendia. Guys, you want to introduce yourselves to us? Sure. I'm Dan Matlis. I'm president of Accendia. We are an analyst and strategy consulting firm focuses on the life sciences industry. I have been in life sciences my entire career, so 32 years now uh, dealing with business, technology, and regulatory issues that impact our industry. Hi, and I'm Sandra Rodriguez. I'm a senior industry analyst at Accendia. I have about 20 plus years of experience in the life sciences uh, ranging from marketing to sales, and I've been an industry analyst now for seven years. Welcome, you guys. I appreciate you coming, and we look forward to talking with you. Absolutely. So let's start with a pretty basic question, but what does change management mean to both of you? So I'll start. Uh, to me, change management is about people. Um, very often, um, when we start projects, the focus uh, of our clients is around that technology issue or a regulatory compliance issue they're trying to address or a business issue. But really at the core of change management is ensuring that people are aligned. Change is hard. And change management is about convincing people to willingly do hard things. And that to me is really at the core. Um, are you willing to support change management? And most organizations or most people are willing to support change as long as they're not the ones who have to make the change. And in order for change management to be successful, we all need to align and move forward. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. Um, now, I've heard it defined so many different ways, right? If we go with the Webster Dictionary definition, it's the management of change and development within a business or similar organization. But the reality is change management means preparing the pushback and the kicking and the screaming that comes with change. And why is that? Well, because frankly, we don't like change, right? As humans, we tend to be more comfortable when something's familiar, and breaking from a routine or having to learn something new can be uncomfortable, especially when you don't have any say-so in the matter. I like to call it WIFM, what's in it for me? So I tend to re I tend to respond to change better when I know what I'm doing and what I'm getting out of it. So I love I love the explanations. What are the keys to successful change management? I know that's a very open question, but Everybody does a little bit different, but what have you folks seen? 
Okay, well, there's going to be some differences of opinion on that question as well, right, Frank? But so, for example, if you're a project manager and you've met your critical deadlines, then that's considered success, right? You really want to create awareness. Um, Some companies actually build entire internal marketing campaigns so that all employees are aware of a digital transformation initiative, for example. Um, And the last, lastly, I would just say, encourage alignment through shared goals. Okay, what does that mean? Bring the proper stakeholders to the table. Nobody knows more about their specific job than the ones that are doing it. I love that thought process because usually when you get to instructor-led training, they should be thrilled about it, excited about it, and wanting to learn about it as compared to just taking it in at that point in time. So I agree with you 100%. I like to use the uh, ugly baby analogy. Um, (laughs) Nobody wants to be told that their baby is ugly and no baby is ugly to their parents and their family. It may be, you know, maybe it's not a baby, maybe it's your your pet, maybe it's your car, maybe it's your house, but it's the same thing when you have commitment, when you have engagement, when you when it's yours, it's beautiful. And you will do whatever it takes to ensure that that Thing comes to fruition and it's successful. It's the same thing with projects. Very often, some of the challenges are around, as Sandra mentioned, not engaging the impacted populations. The sooner you can meet the people at the plant who are going to use that particular solution and engage with them, what color do you want the screen to be? All of a sudden, Frank, to your point, the WIFM, the WIFM, what's in it for me? All of a sudden, I had input into the color of that screen. And every time I'm going to see that screen, I'm going to know that it was my idea. And therefore, when somebody else comes and says, that system is really not helpful, that solution is ugly, that process is inefficient, you're going to very quickly own it and address the issue. And if it needs to be improved, you'll improve it. But you will defend it as well because you were involved and engaged from the beginning. One of my favorite stories doing project management is working with a new project team and a whole new thing. And from that perspective, we would look at them and say, look, it's not very often in one's career you get to change the way a company does business. And that lays the foundation of most everybody comes in and just does whatever the steady state is. Somebody else has developed it, whatever. And you get these teams excited as to even though we're taking on this new thing, whatever that new thing is, you're part of that change. And you really do get excited about doing it, which I think is a great example of, you know, the color change or, hey, listen, I picked out, does this make sense? I think this looks great. Everybody else is going to enjoy it. I love hearing all the experience we have on today's call with, with change management and project management. So I'd love to know, how do you or have you employed change management, uh, Sandra and Dan? Okay, so we're an analyst firm, right? We're not a manufacturing company, but change happens in our organization as well. Luckily, our culture is very people-centric. So the, the word culture is very important here. So it's just that culture, really fostering that culture of openness, 
um, of being able to raise your concerns, to bring ideas to the table, to even question sometimes um, if the decisions being made are the right ones. So I would say culture there is critical to um, employing any type of change management process, um, really making sure that people are comfortable uh, to talk about their concerns and their ideas. So from that perspective, does the culture have to be open? Does it just help from a change management perspective? What I mean by that is if the culture is open, then my concerns, I can bring them up. I can question and I'll get answers, hopefully, or at least I know I'll get listened to. So that culture is already there. Is change management a lot more effective and a lot easier? Absolutely. Um, you know, one, one thing that I always say is that you may not always be right, but you're never wrong, right? If I disagree with you, if I don't believe that that's the ultimate way, I cannot make you wrong. Once I make you wrong, you're going to shut down and you're not going to be a contributing member to the team. So having open communications, having rules where what happens in this meeting stays in this meeting, um, we're going to aggregate the content, we're all going to align and communicate it in a unified way is extremely important. As I said earlier, people are at the core of every organization, right? It's about the people. And what we do is we treat everybody with respect, we have to treat them with integrity, and we have to have passion for doing what we're doing. We need to bring that into every organization that we work with, because if you don't have passion, it's, going, it's not going to work very well. The other piece that's extremely important is that today we're living in the age of disruption. And the only constant is what's that next disruption that's going to happen. And if you think about it over the last few years as a, an example, obviously we had COVID. It was the matriarch of all disruptions, right? But then what happened even during COVID? We had ships stuck across the Suez Canal, which disrupted supply chains. And then we had ships stuck outside of ports because we couldn't unload them. And then things kind of got back to normal. And now we have a war in Ukraine going on that is disrupting uh, fuel uh, availability. And we have tensions in the South China Seas. And we don't know what that next disruption is going to be. So we need to get used to the fact that change and disruption are the constant. And we are always looking for that silver lining. How do you enable positive disruption? You cannot change the fact that disruption is happening. How do you ride that wave rather than let that wave throw you down? That is key to change management. And very often, organizations aren't thinking about the soft skills that are needed in order to have successful change management. What do you guys use? Do you guys, so there's a lot of different techniques that you can use. You can use town halls, you can use electronic, you can use all sorts of things. Um, what do you guys use when you do change management? 
So we generally use a combination. Uh, as a firm, we don't believe that there is a best solution for a problem. There isn't a best MES solution. There isn't a best PLM solution. There isn't a best car. It really depends on what is the problem you're trying to address, what are the needs of your organization, what are the intended uses that you're trying to solve, what are the regulatory, the business problems, and so on. So what we do is we look at that particular organization, work with them very closely to put together a program that will meet their particular needs. The way that we work with a multinational corporation that has 25 sites around the world is very different than the way that we work with a cell and gene therapy organization that has contract manufacturers are very early stage. So looking at that particular organization's needs and tailoring the approach is extremely important. There is no one size fits all, in our opinion. And that's exactly what I was going to say. There isn't, based on what I'm understanding, there's no one size fits all. But what we do want to make sure we understand is we're being heard. Yes. You want to be heard. Um, you want your input to be taken into consideration and you don't want to ever dismiss anybody's input. Another key point to change management is recognizing that just doing what you're doing now in a new system, for example, isn't going to work. One of the things we always tell clients up front is to one, we're not going to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to tell you what you need to hear. And two, nobody is going to get exactly what they thought they want. I like that. These are very powerful little bits of wisdom. I love it. Are there any other pitfalls that you need to make sure are avoided when you are trying to implement change management with one of your customers? Sure. Um, so again, uh, you really want to communicate early and you want to communicate often. All right. The decision makers aren't always the only ones that get impacted by change. Um, they may hold the purse strings a lot of times when it comes to budget, but they also have to be the ones holding the bullhorn, right? And announcing that a change is coming. Uh, another thing, large companies oftentimes have multiple sites around the world, right? Dan, uh, talked about, you know, having 25 sites around the world. So if you're piloting a new technology, for example, at site one, share those lessons learned with site two or whoever is next in line if you're going to be rolling out that technology. Even if site two isn't, isn't scheduled to be part of an implementation for another year, you have to keep them informed. Um, make sure that all, all sites that are part of the overall initiative are active contributors to your project. It's hard for the right hand to know what the left hand is doing in most companies of 50 employees or less, right? Now imagine how difficult change man a change management effort is going to be at companies that have 5,000 employees or more. Um, and then lastly, I would say ensure that the teams or business units that are going to be affected by the change understand that vision clearly. There's always upsides and downsides to change. We understand that. 
if you're leading a project uh, within your company, don't be afraid to communicate both. Dan, anything else you want to add? Yeah, a couple of points building on what you just said. Some of the pitfalls to avoid in my experience is never start a project saying we are from corporate and we're here to help you. It's not going to go well. We need to work together. We need to collaborate. We need to build teams that include all the impacted population. Actively engaging with those impacted populations, as Sandra said, if that operator isn't going to like how you design that particular screen, she is going to complain. And human nature is, we'll tell one, two, three people about a good experience we've had. We'll tell 15, 20, 30 people about a bad experience we've had. So good news doesn't travel as fast as bad news. You want to have the buy-in back to, it's my system, it's my process. I've been involved in this. That is critically important to actively engage with all impacted populations. The other challenge, and Sandra alluded to, the people at the top often get it. And they have the purse strings and they have the buy-in and they want to make it happen. The people on the floor or the people who are going to be executing the solutions often understand that we need to get better. The biggest challenge to change is what Joe Jimenez calls the frozen middle, right? The people in middle management who are so used to doing things the way they've always done it, that QA manager who doesn't want to change, that operations manager who loves their spreadsheet, that planner who has broken down the whole facility and can run it from 17 spreadsheets that she updates on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, right? Those are the folks that we need to convince. And one very successful way that we have used is by actually engaging with the executive management first, helping them understand the power that their words have. And then when we run a workshop with the operators, with the people who are doing it, with those middle managers, first, have them come in at the first meeting and state, this is our company's position, this is what we're going to do, and these are the reasons why. And it, I've had a really good experience with a VP of quality who came in the first meeting and did that and then showed up to subsequent meetings five minutes late and sat in the back so nobody knew he was there. And whenever somebody in his organization would say, but that's not the way we do it now, he would chime in from the back and say, but that doesn't mean we can't change and make it better. And after three or four meetings of showing up five minutes late and making those comments from the back of the room, the dynamic of the entire team changed because everybody started saying, but that's, that doesn't mean that we can't change. 
And we they, were started, given, they were given permission. They were given permission that, to think differently. Absolutely. They were empowered to actually change. And managing change is about making change. If you're not making change, there's nothing to manage. So if we're just going to do what we've always done, as the saying goes, we always get what we've always gotten, and there's nothing to change. So why are we doing this project? Right? No, complete, yeah, I completely agree. And it's funny. It, I think it's an old built-in thing that we probably got when we were kids, that if mom and dad said it was okay, we could go do it. Other than that, if they, you know, we were going to do whatever we were supposed to do, whether it's school, whether it, you know, follow the rules. And if these are the rules, this is it. But if you need to make a change, you need to be told you can make the change. So I think that, I think that's a great thing, you know, based on what I'm hearing. Especially in a highly regulated industry, are indoctrinated. In my case, for 32 years, these are the regulations. This is how you do things. And this is why you sign with a blue pen instead of a... Right, right. <laughs> this is how you cross out. This is how you initial. This is how you do everything. You're absolutely right. And changing that is hard because the assumption is if we make the change, then we might be out of compliance. And one of my pet peeves is, first we need to understand what is the predicate rule? What is it that the regulation actually says that we need to comply with and separate that from our SOPs, from our policies, procedures, our quality system, which is how we interpreted that rule. And as technology changes, as business changes, as quality initiatives change, let's keep let's keep updating, let's keep changing our quality management to keep up with today as opposed to 20 years ago. And a good example of that is computer system validation. Until the 13th of September, we were following computer system validation guidance that was written 21 years ago. The agency now, with input from industry, and we were honored to be able to participate and provide input, now has a new guidance around computer software assurance, a paradigm shift. That is going to change how we implement technology and it's going to lower a barrier. But that change is going to be hard. And many organizations are going to say, no, I want to keep doing it the way I've been doing it for the last 21 years. Good luck implementing new technology with 21-year-old regulatory guidance and your procedures that are much tighter than that guidance. That's the way we've always done it. I'm going to touch on one other thing and from a change management perspective. I'd love to get you guys' opinion. It's communication or lack thereof, where a project starts, does all the right things, gets it going, and then does it, you know, does a, a submarine deep dive and they do their work, but they don't communicate on a regular basis. And so, what I found over the years is, you know, at least on a weekly basis, a blast an email blast or whatever it happens to be goes out 
and does the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's not that we're succeeding. It's not that we're failing. It's not that everything's going great or not. It's telling everybody, and this is over-communication, more to your point, Dan, that we want to be able to hit the hot, you know, the, the C-suite, the the next layer down, the managerial layer, the, you know, so everybody's understanding what's going on. But it has to be constant and it has to be concise. Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, uh, you're not going to get any disagreement from me on that. Um, you know, we I, that was uh, I, I spoke about that earlier. You have to communicate early. Nobody wants to be left in the dark. And that's that whole keep them tuned into that WIFM, right? Keep them tuned into that station and what's in it for me. Make sure that uh, people still understand uh, what's coming down the pike for them, um, where a project is. And if there's delays, which oftentimes there are, um, that then would give someone the opportunity to adjust, right? I mean, things, things come up, things happen. I've managed projects. We, even though we do our best, to build in some buffers there for, you know, if things don't go quite as planned, a lot of unforeseen stuff happens, especially in this day and age of continuous disruption. So I would, you know, again, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I think communication is key. Having the right people together at the right time and then communicating down, right? It's no one has, you're not going to have a, a video call with 50 people every Friday. Maybe you will, but good luck getting the availability of 50 right. people on exactly. any given day. Yeah, in yeah, a room. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and to build on what both of you have said, it's important for to have communication early and often, but it's even more important to have engagement. It needs to be two-way communication. You need to not just tell them everything that's going on, but you need to have forums and opportunities for them to tell you what their concerns are. And one way to do this is building change agent networks. So especially at larger organizations where you have multiple sites, having local change agents that are those points of contact when an issue happens, you have somebody to go to and they can then report back to the broader team, here's what we're hearing. Often what we'll do is run surveys of the impacted populations to get some both quantitative and qualitative information and data on how people are feeling and make those anonymous so that you really get to your point, Frank, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then act upon that. How do we continuously improve our change management process? How do we continuously improve our approach so that we are getting better all the time? Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this amazing topic. Thank you for tuning in to Pep Talks, the pharmaceutical expert podcast, and a huge thanks to our guests, Dan Matlas and Sandra Rodriguez from Excendia. Don't forget to comment and subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode.